You may be seated. Guys, I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to invite you to pray with me for a moment, and then we'll close that prayer with the Lord's Prayer. Those words will be on the screen for you. I invite you to pray those out loud with me. Let's pray. God, we feel it in our heart. We feel it in our soul that we have been running and running. And in this moment of worship, God, that which we are running after is you and you desire to be found. So thank you for making yourself available to us, available to your church, available to all those who seek after you, after your goodness, after your peace and after your joy and after your mercy. In a world that's so obviously full of brokenness, God, we need your peace to settle upon us and our hearts in this moment that we might be a part of your movement to bring peace around the world. So we pray for all the places of brokenness and all the places they exist and even right here in this room, in our living rooms, and in our hearts, God. We pray for the peace of Christ, peace of Christ, peace of Christ be upon us. God, we lift up all of our worship. We lift up our lives to you, God. And we do it with a little bit of boldness because Jesus said you, we can come to you and we can come to him and he will, he will lift up our prayers even higher into heaven. And God, so hear this prayer as we join our voices together praying the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in the middle of a season of Lent, but you've heard it said throughout our last several weeks that Every, every Sunday is an Easter Sunday. It's like we celebrate every, every, every weekend we get to celebrate Easter, but we are looking forward to the big celebration of Easter in about a, about a month. Um, so I know it's coming up actually pretty quickly, and we wanted to go ahead and let you guys know what we have planned for, for that weekend. We are going to have a couple of services on Saturday night of Easter weekend, and then we're going to have our services on Sunday morning as well. So five total services we, we are planning, and we have a, a, just kind of a hope and a, a request from you. So if you call Providence Church your home and you're, you're here on a regular basis and you connect here on a regular basis, I'm especially talking to you in this moment. We want to ask a few things of you as, we, as you think about Easter weekend. One of them is we want you to be thinking of who you can invite. We'd love for you to be praying about who it is in your neighborhood or at work that you can invite to come, come with you on, on Easter. Easter weekend is just a powerful experience. It's a great time of worship. It's also just one of those times where people who are not connecting to, to the church have a chance maybe to connect to the church. So consider who it is that you might bring with you. And we'll actually be giving you tools over the next few weeks that you can, can use as, as invites to that. Um, also, we want you to consider um, attending one of our Saturday night services on Easter weekend or the eight o'clock service on Easter morning. And the reason that we're doing that is because we're, we're really trying to plan ahead to make sure that we have a lot of room for disconnected people to come and worship Jesus on, on Easter weekend. So if, if you would look at those, those dates and consider being a part of our, one of our Saturday night services um, or Sunday at eight o'clock, that will create some room for people who are gonna come at those other times um, on, on Easter morning. And on top of that, we actually want you to 
register, um, to go ahead and sign up to be a part of that. On our website at prob.church Easter, you'll have all kinds of information that you can find there. And if you'll go ahead and let us know which service you're going to attend, and we're asking Saturday night or, or Sunday morning at 8 o'clock if you can, um, go ahead and indicate that. That'll help us to plan, make sure that we've got plenty of room for people who, who are going to be coming on Easter Sunday. So thank you. for We are so excited about it. So we hope you'll be praying with us and, and uh, gearing, gearing up for a great Easter with us. Well, today we are looking at John chapter 4, and there's a lot in John chapter 4. Uh, we've been actually in the book of John for, for several weeks. We're, we're going to stick in the gospel of John throughout most of, of the year this year. And so there's a lot to cover in John chapter 4, and I'm not going to give it all to you uh, today. I want to let you know that a lot of it's going to be on the screen, but you also might want to have a Bible with you. Um, so if you don't have a, have a Bible with you, um, we've got some, some folks in the back that, that can, if you want to raise your hand, we've got some Bibles that we, that we can bring to you so that you can actually follow along and look at the parts that we don't cover uh, today. All right, so we've been talking about miracles for the last several weeks, and I just want to be honest with you, and I'm, I'm guessing I'm not alone in this. There, I, I used to be quite skeptical about miracles. I used to, um, I would see those guys on, on TV that, that said they were doing miracles, and I'm not saying that none of them were miracles, but it felt really fishy to me sometimes. <laughs> you know, I would, I would watch what was going on, I was like, that just seems like a little too much. Is, are miracles actually real? But then one time, I had this, this faithful woman who sat down with a group of young people and she told us about how God had moved in her lives, in her life, like the, that he had actually intervened in the life of, of her child who had been sick and it intervened in her own life. And then she would tell us stories about even kind of random people that, that had stories of miracles that God had broken into their lives. And, and I have to be honest with you, that was one of the first times that it struck me that God might actually be interested in my daily life. Like the God that I had, had learned about in Sunday school and, and growing up hearing about might actually be interested in what's going on in my daily life, interested enough to actually intervene. But those accounts of miracles that, that she would share with us, they seemed kind of distant to me. I would hear them and I, I, was, I was mesmerized by them and I loved to hear these stories of God intervening, but they felt kind of distant to me because I had never experienced them in first person at that point in, in my life. But I had decided that even if, even if I never directly saw a miracle of God or a, never, a miracle of God never actually happened in my own life, I think I'd be content with being with Jesus in between his miracles. Like just being close to Jesus, even if he's just from going from miracle A to miracle B, I'd love to hear about it. <laughs> I'd love to see it. I would wonder if maybe I'd even just kind of still see the glow, the glory on, on Jesus. I just want to be close. I put it this way, if I could just be at a pit stop between two of Jesus's miracles, I believe my life could actually be changed. <laughs> just one of those kind of wayside stands, right? So today we're actually going to hear a story about an encounter that took place in between two miracles. So first I've got to tell you about the miracles, right? All right, well, the first one you've already heard about if you've been with us, John chapter 2, it's the first miracle of Jesus that took place at a wedding at Cana of Galilee which was Jesus' stomping grounds is where he was from. So he and his family were invited to this wedding feast. And at the wedding feast, they had a problem. They ran out of wine. So it was, Jesus was called upon by his mom to do something about the wine shortage. <laughs> and he kind of, it seems like Jesus was kind of saying, hey, mom, you know I 
I, I could do it, but this isn't the right time. <laughs> like, this isn't the moment when I'm supposed to be doing this. But it was his mom asking, and so he did it. He turned water, these large jugs of water, into wine as they were poured out. But not only that, it was really good wine. So this is from John chapter 2, uh, verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So the result of this sign, just real quickly, was revealed glory in Jesus and belief in him by other people. So that's what we'll call Cana miracle number one, all right? If you want a little category for that, water into wine. That's, that's miracle number one. Now, after this moment, we've heard about this, Jesus traveled down to Jerusalem for the Passover, and there he performed other signs and led many other people to believe in him as well. We don't know what all each individual sign was, but we, we know that they happened. And during that time, he was beginning to get what sounded, seemed like bad press to the Pharisees, the leaders at the time, the rulers at the time. They were hearing about Jesus, and it was actually good press. It was the reason he was getting attention is because he and his disciples were baptizing more people than John the Baptist, who's got baptism in his name, had been baptizing. They were, they were getting all kinds of attention, and Jesus noticed it, and he knew that this was one of those moments he might just need to draw back for a minute. So he, he went back home to kind of let things cool off. He felt it happening, he, to let things cool off. It, and it, what that shows to us is that he knew that there was a bigger story that was going on that was unfolding around him. He had to allow that bigger story, bigger than even the miracles, to develop. So let's look at Cana miracle number two. Um, John chapter four, verse 46. So I'm sorry, I'm gonna be jumping around on you just a little bit. So if you can just kind of like flip through your Bible. Um, Once more, it says, he visited Cana and Galilee where he had turned water into wine. I just point this out. Notice how quickly the name of the town is associated with what Jesus had done in the town. It's like you walk up to Cana and Galilee, and on the sign it says, like, Cana, um, home of the year 25 AD high school basketball championships, and where he turned water into wine. <laughs> you walk into town, that's what it's known for. And it's what it feel like people remember this. They remember that this has happened. All this stuff had happened in Jerusalem since then. There was other news going on, but they remembered it. They noticed miracle number one. They were still talking about it. So once he got there, he was met by it says, a, a royal official. It actually says a certain royal official, which sounds really important, right? It's a certain guy. <laughs> it's like this, this guy is important, but actually this guy is just a dad, this guy that comes up to Jesus is a dad who has a sick kid. That's who he is. And this dad, along with everyone else in Galilee, had heard about all the things that Jesus had, had done prior to this, to this meeting, all these wonders that he had performed when he was in Jerusalem. They knew that Jesus is someone who could do something. Like Jesus could actually break through into their, their situation. So he begged Jesus, heal my son. And we can understand that kind of desperation. There, there's somewhere in your life where you can draw from to go, oh, I know that feeling. I know that feeling where I would just do anything. Like, what would you do for your own flesh and blood? Like, how, how far would you travel? How high of a mountain would you climb to get to the one who can undo death and disease? That's where this man is. And the royal official says, sir, come down. Please come down before my child dies. And the town he lived in was down by, by the water. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. This is interesting. Jesus didn't have to go anywhere. 
He didn't have to spit on the ground and put something in somebody's eye. He didn't have to touch the, the boy's fevered body. Nobody even had to touch the hem of his, his garment. His word was enough for a miracle. And just as amazingly, here's what it says next. The man took Jesus at his word. <laughs> he's coming to Jesus, who's this miracle worker, and he's kind of, there's probably a bit of an expectation, like he's going to run. He's going to run to where the boy is, and he's going to make it happen. And he says, just go. He's going to be well. And somehow this dad says, okay. <laughs> and he departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus has said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. Which whatever kind of household you might find yourself in right now, there might have been moments, and certainly has been in my household, where you're just praying for everyone in the household to have a deeper understanding of who God is, a deeper faith in the power of Jesus Christ to save lives. I go to bed with that sometimes. You dream of this kind of moment in which everyone believes, and here it just happened in a moment. Well, how did it happen? Well, just a miraculous sign of God. And I don't say that to be discouraging. I actually say it to be encouraging because the miraculous signs of God are all around us. So if your family hones in on one, then God might be able to actually break through in a way that everyone is believing in Jesus Christ and his power to save lives. So here we've got a Cana miracle number one, water into wine. Cana miracle number two, a sick boy is healed. People came to believe through these miracles. Stories were told, movies have been written, but I want to spend the rest of our time today learning from what happened in between. What about in between those two miracles? Well, in between, Jesus spent time in Jerusalem for the Passover. In between, Jesus turned over tables in the temple and claimed that he could rebuild the temple in three days if it were torn down. He was foreshadowing his own resurrection. In between, Jesus ate and slept and taught and his disciples baptized tons of people. In between, he decided it was time to begin this journey back home. So it says in verse four of chapter four, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. There's something I don't wanna miss here. Like Jesus he was tired, and so he stopped in a really convenient stopping location on the journey. But it was more than a convenient location. It was a significant location that he stopped at. See, there's something important about stopping in places that factor into your story. And that's what Jesus was doing as he sat at Jacob's well on his way back home. Like for me, I've got some sacred places. There's a, a place where the um, this, this scene in my mind where I'm standing there with my my, my bride-to-be, who is now, now my bride, and we were standing there where the Little Arkansas River flows into the Big Arkansas River, and this is a really cool scene. I, I just remember that. I've got like, it's like a sacred place. I like to go back and visit that place. Or there's a, a hill in Kansas 
really, like there's a hill in Kansas and people don't believe that that can happen, but it's like, I mean, it's relative to the things around it, but it, like, it's like a little mound. Anyway, there's a place where, where we were sitting and dreaming about our future. And by the way, it was a really cool dream about our future, but God's dream for our future was, was even better. Sometimes it's good to go back to those kind of places that factor into your story to kind of reconnect us and, and remind us. And things can actually happen there, as we'll see. But some of the places we go back to are not so sweet, right? Um, sometimes I'll go by a place where, where I just, I know that I hurt somebody. Even if it was like years ago, and even if there's been forgiveness, I still kind of go by that place and I just kind of have this, this twinge. Like that, that also um, connects to my story, a place where I made dumb choices. <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot of places like that. <laughs> but most of the places we can go back to are both beautiful and painful at the same time because life is complicated, right? Jesus chooses to sit and rest at this well. And here's how I picture it. Like the whole story is around him. The story of Jacob and his sons, the story of captivity in Egypt, the story of their rescue through the Red Sea and their wandering through the wilderness and their entry into the the promised land and their return back into into captivity. There's just this whole story and there's a picture kind of swirling around Jesus as he's sitting by this well that was dug by his ancestors. Places that factor into your story can be important. It says, while he was there, Uh, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? So this woman from the area comes by. He asked her for a drink, which seems like a really normal question, a reasonable question. But there's all kinds of problems here with with this uh, exchange that's happening. This woman was a Samaritan. She knew better than to associate with a Jew. They weren't friends. They were on opposite sides. And this woman was a woman. (laughs) And all of Jesus' friends had gone to the store to get food. And so it was just him and her. And it's just really um, the situation that just looks highly inappropriate, even still today, especially in the Middle East. But Jesus sees this woman. He doesn't see her. He doesn't see a Samaritan woman. He sees this woman. Like he knew where she was from, but he saw much more than that just by spotting her. John added the Samaritan for information because it matters to the story. But Jesus didn't seem to have a moment of thinking, oh, she's on the other side. He just asked her for some water. And then he explodes all these kinds of rules and assumptions, and he asked her for a drink. And so she questions his request because it doesn't seem right to her. And Jesus answered her questioning and says, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And he said, everyone who drinks the water, this water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Like anyone who drinks this water that's right here that we're sitting by, will be thirsty again. If a Jew comes by and drinks it, he'll be thirsty. A Samaritan comes by and drinks it, she'll be thirsty again. A Ukrainian, a Russian, an American, it all will be thirsty. And the only way to get past all of that, to never thirst again, is to have living water. So when this woman heard the phrase living water, she was hearing like fresh flowing water. 
And fresh water sounds nice to us, right? But when you don't have fresh water available to you, it sounds life-changing. It doesn't just sound like nice. It sounds like it could change your life. I heard a report from our school in Haiti this week. Uh, the water supply to the school in Haiti had been cut off. See, the water there flows down from the mountains. The school is actually hundreds of yards from the shore, but that's salt water. And so to get fresh water, you have to have it come down from the mountains. And the people who live up the mountains are having a dispute with the people who live around the school. And so they're cutting off the water right now. There's no water flowing down to the school. Our kids don't have water for cooking meals or washing their hands. So a water truck came and delivered water and filled up the cistern this week. Can't imagine how amazing that felt. When you don't have fresh water, the words living water sound like heaven. They sound like salvation. So she asked, where can you get this living water? She says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. This is a really practical response from the woman. It's kind of like Nicodemus last week in chapter 3. Last week, we heard Jesus command that you must be born again, not physically born again, like this time born in the right country or on the right, right side of the river, but spiritually born again. And the man, Nicodemus says, well, how can I be born again? How can I actually physically be born again? We heard him ask. The woman at the well is like looking for the living water spigot. <laughs> like, like it's going to be this physical thing that she's going to be able to turn on. Endless water that ends my thirst, she says, like sign me up. But something else has to happen first. In order for her to receive living water from Jesus, he has to address some barriers that are existing in her life. He doesn't just want to offer her salvation like down the road, but he wants to change her life that day. Like today, I want your life to be changed. So he says to her, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. To which Jesus says again, you are right to say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man that you're living with right now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true, he says. I'm not even sure what tone to give Jesus with those words because I don't think it was mean, it was just the truth. But how does Jesus do that? How does he look at somebody in just a moment and see the whole thing? How does he see their whole life? How is that even, even possible? We think we can do that, right? We'll see somebody coming down the road and like, oh, I know that person. I know their whole story, but we're wrong. We don't. <laughs> but Jesus is able to do that. The reason Jesus is able to do that is because he was there at the beginning, not just the beginning of your life, but at the beginning of creation. Like he has seen everything that has happened. He knows the entire journey. <laughs> That's how he can look at us and know the whole thing. And yet still, we try to hide from Jesus. <laughs> well, okay, I try to hide <laughs> from Jesus. I know that's true. I know that he knows everything when he looks at me, and yet I still find myself trying to hide like Jesus, like, like I'm Adam. <laughs> We're Adam and Eve still sometimes, right? Well, the woman recognized something about Jesus. She said, uh, I can see that you're a prophet. So she's saying something that's true. <laughs> and then instantly, the next word she begins to hide. She says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. That doesn't even make sense, right? This shouldn't be the next thing out of her mouth. On one hand, she's saying, I can see that you see me, and that's amazing. You're a prophet from God. 
And the next breath, she starts talking about an old argument that she expected to serve as the parameters for this entire conversation between a Jew and a Samaritan. It's easier when we're just arguing about the rules, isn't it? <laughs> she wanted to shift from the fact that, she, that he could see right through her to an argument that would keep her safe. It sounds like she's changing the subject. It sounds like she's hiding. Well, Jesus uses her distraction to invite her into the story. This is how he responds. Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. People who are born of the spirit are able to worship in the spirit. This connects to last week. This is Nicodemus, right? You're born in the spirit. You can worship in the spirit. And when Jesus announces that, it tears down all kinds of walls and all kinds of barriers that define how, we're, how and where we're supposed to worship. A woman has been caught up in a life of adultery and she can receive living water and she can worship God in the spirit. So the woman admits, she's kind of caught up in this and she admits, you know what, I've been looking for a savior. I've been looking for someone to rescue me. And Jesus, he looks at her, he gets back into her face in the same way he did when he immediately knew her whole story. And he says, I am him. His supernatural ability to see into her past is the sign that points to who he really is. He is the Messiah, the Christ, and he's declaring it to her. The fact that Jesus knows our whole story, the places of beauty and the places of shame, yet offers us life and living water anyway, is miraculous. <laughs> Nothing short of a miracle. You will never thirst when you have an encounter with this kind of Jesus. So here's what happened in between the miracles at Cana. Another miracle. Jesus saw this woman that he wasn't supposed to see. He saw into her past and invited her into a brand new future. Remember what Jesus had said about living water. He said, the water I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. After this encounter with Jesus in between the blockbuster miracles in Cana, this woman felt her life just bubbling up in her. It was like a spring of water just welling up and she just had to go. So she, she took off. It says she even left her water jar. She went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. It doesn't seem like she's still living in the guilt from having her brokenness ex exposed. It seems like she's celebrating a new life already. She said, he told me everything I ever did and he loved me and he has offered me new life, living water that quenches my thirsty soul. Get this part. It says, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Interesting to point out here, they came to believe at this time because of his what? His words, not because of his miracles. 
Like leading up to this point, it required miracles. We needed miracles. And then, and then a word that, that, that led to a miracle. And they just heard from him. They heard his words and they came to believe. It feels like a development in the spread of the good news. Like it's great to have miracles and we pray for miracles. I pray for them every single day. And now that I've seen some, I pray for them all the more. But even when I don't see them, you still have the word of God. We still have Jesus. So these people that the woman went back to and had their lives changed as well, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Like her response to an encounter with Jesus led them to have an encounter with Jesus and led them to believe in Jesus Christ. I wasn't planning on, on sharing this. I've never uh, mentioned this in a, in a message before, but when I was in college, and then moving into a graduate school seminary to become a pastor, I lost the ability to, to speak in public. I, I developed a stutter, and it just like wrecked me for a long time because I felt this calling to go and to speak in, in front of large, not large, to speak in front of anybody who would listen to me about Jesus. And here I was finding myself unable to do that. And I sat with that for years, and I struggled, and I kept going to class, and I kept trying to speak. And then I had this moment after we moved here to Nashville had an opportunity to preach at the Upper Room Chapel. And, um, and somehow in that moment, just like a preparation for it, I had a, a peace settle over me. And I was able to, to walk in, and I, it probably wasn't a great message, but, but I was able to, to, to give a message and, and proclaim Jesus Christ in, in that place. And it was like something just completely broke open in, in my life. Like God had actually broken through in a miraculous way that I had been praying for for a long time, thought I would never see, and even in the moment didn't recognize what it was. I'm still kind of living into the fact that, that God has worked a miracle in my life by allowing me to speak, by allowing me to share who Jesus Christ is. When Jesus sees us, he sees all of it. He sees the past, the present, the future, the stuff we talk about, the stuff we don't talk about. Jesus addresses your past so your future can point to your salvation and to the salvation of others. Guys, I want to invite you to, to pray with me and just kind of like, let's kind of picture ourselves at one of those places. You might have heard of miracles that are happening around you. You might be praying for a miracle right now. But let's sit in this moment. We might be in between miracles. We know that God can work and we desire to sit with him and be seen by him. Jesus Christ, you are our savior. You are our Messiah. In you, we have hope of life. You are the source of the living water that our souls thirst for. So God, would you pour out your living water upon us? And God, we come to you with a, with a boldness that says, God, look into me. I don't want to hide anything from my past or my present, but I want to live the future that you have for me. So God, speak those words of life over us that we might run from this place, that we might be able to tell other people about who you are and what you can see in us and that your power to bring us to life is the same power that can bring them to life. God, come and do your work in us.
In Jesus' name, amen.